0: All right. Uh let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we are uh we're excited to get to come together and open up your word and um we know that all the philosophies of the world and all the the words of men can fail us, but your word will never fail us. And so we thank you for the the surety and and uh just the steadfastness that we can anchor to in your word. And I pray that tonight that you would be exalted as we're looking at it, that you would be glorified, that we would give honor uh, to your word, that we'd give honor to you. I pray that you would uh, fill each and every one of us, God, with hearts that are hungry to learn, hungry to hear, hungry to grow, hungry to be uh, corrected if need be. Uh, God, we want to see you move in our lives. And so we pray that you do that tonight uh, for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible in a year. And this week's reading, we covered Psalm 95 to Psalm 119. Next week, we're going to cover Psalm 120 through Proverbs 7. And if you're getting tired of me giving you an explanation of where we've been and where you're going, when you can look at it yourself just as easily, that's fine. But it's kind of part of speaking is that you say the same thing over and over again because on any given time... Most people aren't going to remember it anyway. So, um, But this week's psalms were really uh, just a, honestly, just a fantastic group of psalms. Uh, next week is going to be exciting as well. I love the psalms that we're coming up to. Um, but this week is just, it's just a great batch of psalms. And that feels funny to say because, you know, all the psalms are obviously scripture, um, but Different Psalms are just wrestling with different things and processing different things in different ways. Um, And on the whole, this batch is just really cool. And the emphasis, um, uh, the majority of the Psalms we covered this week are anonymous. We don't know for sure who wrote them. Um, You know, it's been said that the Bible describes David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And so uh, when the Lord describes David as the psalmist for the nation, It's reasonable, if we don't know for sure who wrote it, to assume that David is a very likely candidate, but we really just don't know for for certain. Um, But there's a nice theme in the Psalms section this week, which is kind of cool, because um, the Psalms sometimes feel a little bit like they're jumping all over the map, right? You know, like, life's great, life's awful, life's great, life's awful. Um, This batch is a little more consistent, and it's all about praising the Lord. And so even if we're just skimming real fast and just looking at the first line of some of the psalms. uh, Psalm 95, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Psalm 96, Sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 97, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 98, O sing to the Lord a new psalm. Uh, Psalm 99, The Lord reigns. Psalm 100, Shout joyfully to the Lord. Psalm 101, I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. Uh, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 105, O give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 106, praise the Lord. Psalm 107, O give thanks to the Lord. Psalm uh, 109, sorry, not Psalm 109. That's the one that's a little bit off, and I just was going too fast. Um, Psalm 108, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing, I will sing praises even with my soul. Uh, Psalm 111, praise the Lord. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Are you picking up a theme here? Right? And these psalms are very, with the notable exception of 109, um, very oriented on praising the Lord. And so tonight, we're going to be talking, by and large, about praising the Lord. But there's a couple of things that I want us to kind of be watching for and be paying attention to. So we're going to start off tonight in Psalm 111, and then we're going to do Psalm 115, and then after that, we're going to start jumping around all over the place. But um, I think, if we don't run out of time. But uh, if you would, just turn to Psalm 111, because I want us to read a psalm in its entirety. Um, And, you know, even as we're, Wednesday nights, obviously, are a little bit different than Sunday mornings because we're covering a pocket of scripture, but I don't ever want it to be like, oh, I found, you know, one little thing that I like, and so we're going to talk about that for, for 45 minutes. Um, I want us to still be covering the word, and so we're going to open up to a chapter, we're going to open up to a psalm, you know, in general, you know, sometimes there's exceptions, but uh, by and large, I want us to, to still get, you know, a, a real dose of the word. And so Psalm 111, which is an easy one to remember, because it's 1, 1, 1, right, and so starts off. Says, "Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord; they are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever. He has made known to His people the power of His works." in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise and endures forever. This really is, I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful psalm. Right. And the psalmist, who we don't have uh, the author for sure, um, is just he's just elaborating on. I want to praise the Lord. And then he's given us some why. So he's going to give thanks to the Lord with all his heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. So with all his heart, with other believers. Right. That's what we just did in song. That's what we are doing right now through the word. Um, And then we're going to call to mind. What God has done, right? Great are his works. They're splendid. They're majestic. His righteousness endures. He has made his wonders to be remembered. He's gracious and compassionate. So there's all these great things, right? But it's important to understand that we can't just worship. We have to worship God, right? So Psalm 111 is is an awesome song of, I am just in love with the Lord. I want to praise the Lord. But it's specific that I want to praise the Lord. So turn to Psalm 115, or if your Bible's like mine, it's on the same page. So don't turn to Psalm 115. Uh, and it starts off, says, uh, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your righteousness and because of your truth, why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And then notice um, verse 4 through 7. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. So the psalmist here in Psalm 115 is saying, there's a difference between us and other nations. Right? There's a difference between followers of the law of God and those who refuse to follow the law of God. But it's not that we're, one of us is worshipping and one of us isn't. He says, he's very clear. These people are worshipping. These people are worshipers. Right? We are, as human beings, are born to worship. We are created to worship. Every human being on the face of the earth is worshipping. But the distinction is who. Right? Or what. you got to understand where is your worship going. Right? What is it, what is it hoping to what are you hoping to accomplish? Who are you trying to communicate with? Right? And so the psalmist here has drawn a really important distinction. And as for each one of us, as we're going through the Psalms and we're just getting this reminder over and over again, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it's important that we understand, well, wait a second, who is the Lord? Okay? So then go so verse eight and nine of Psalm 115. So he gave us, you know, he said they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. Verse 8, those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So you will become like the object of your worship. You will become like your idol, right? And so this is now, all of a sudden now, this isn't just a good idea, this is critical. If we are worshiping something uh, immoral, we will become immoral, immoral. If we are worshiping something less than us, we will become less than us. Right? We will become less than we were created to be. So we have got to understand that as Christians, as biblically minded Christians, as thinking Christians, not just are we going to worship. Because we are. It is is wired into the DNA of every human being that we're going to worship. The question is, who are we going to worship? And so, um, so really, tonight, what I want us to think about is, who is God? Okay? And it's important if we're going to do this, because you know, cause I want to make sure that if I'm going to become like what I worship, that I'm worshiping the true God. And so then, what that means though is I have to be willing to go through and say, okay, wait, what are my preconceptions of God? Right? So we have to stop and say, okay, what is God not? And what is God? And Uh, We honestly kind of have to do them in that order because our culture and even Christianity in the modern sense or even in the traditional sense, we can build up this idea of God that is so established in our minds that we can't really, uh, we can't fathom a God different than that, but that may or may not be who God is. And so if we're going to be biblical Christians, it's not just enough to be Christians, right? It's not just enough to be uh, worshiping Christians. We have to be saying, okay, wait, who is God really? Who is God informing us that he is? And so I want us to start off with just a couple things of who God is not. Um, And all of this, I'm kind of of ripping off a a book um, called Your God is Too Small. It was written by a guy named J.B. Phillips back in the uh, probably the 50s or the 60s, Um, he was a British guy. It's a fantastic book. It's about 120 pages long and like a four by six book. It's short. I read it this week. And um, it's incredibly long though because everything he says is to the point, right? Short authors are a lot harder to read than long authors because long authors, you can get lost and you can go get a cup of coffee and whatever else and you come back and you're still on the same thought. Short authors, you gotta pay attention. And then you've got to digest, because they're giving you a lot of information really fast. And so in his book, Your God is Too Small, J.B. Phillips goes through, and he lists like 12 ideas of who God isn't. And then he goes through and basically makes a, a really great case for Jesus as the fulfillment of God in humanity, and he he's explains it, and it's, it's really a really great book, it's great for non-believers and believers, but... Um, Just a couple thoughts that I want us to pick up on who God is not. And then we're going to go into the word and say, okay, who is God? So God is not the policeman. And, um, you know, our church as a whole, we emphasize grace a lot. So it's maybe not quite so much of a stretch to say like, yeah, okay, I get that. God isn't like, you know, God isn't bad cop or whatever. Um, He's just, you know, okay. But it's important that we understand that. Because we can understand certain parts of God, and the problem is also we tend to want to focus on one aspect, because God is so big that we can say, okay, wait, I really can't wrap my head around that. So subconsciously or consciously, I'm going to try and just look at one side, and I can sort of understand that side, right? Like, God is love. Okay, I can understand that. Or, oh, God is justice. Oh, I can kind of understand that. I really can't put them together in a way that makes me feel comfortable, so I'm going to stick with one or the other. So it's important that we remember that God is not a policeman, right? God's goal is not to catch all the lawbreakers, right, and to execute punishment to the full extent of the law, right? He's fully capable of that. He created the law. He has the right to do that, but that's not who God is in his entirety. God is not old, And this is an important one that is easy to, uh, it's easy to gloss over if we're not thinking, if we're not careful, because we know that God has existed before time began, and he'll exist after time ends. So in human minds, if somebody was around 100 years ago, and they're still around now, that makes them old, right? If somebody was around 500 years ago, that makes them really old and the the problem is we tend all of a sudden what happens though is now God is um, he's incapable of interacting in our world right Um, it's great if God was sufficient for Martin Luther right but right now today I don't need to know that God is sufficient for Martin Luther's lifestyle I need to know that God is sufficient for a lifestyle that includes iPhones Right? Does God understand how an iPhone works? Because we, if we put in this idea that God is old, then we put in this idea that God is old-fashioned. God is not old. God does not have age. Right? So God is no older today than he was 4,000 years ago. So he is as aware. He is as involved. He's as smart as anyone in today Right, and it's and it's important that we understand this because it's really you know again a lot of these are they're subtle things where we can be almost not even aware that we're thinking this, but all of a sudden, well, God's kind of the old guy, and old people are just characteristically no fun, right? With uh, with a couple of very notable exceptions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't point at anybody. I started to, but I kept my finger up. Um, but but. Who wants an old God, right? Like, we just can't do that. And so God is not old. God is here. God is now. Uh, God is not a projected image of us. This one is one that we, oh my gosh, I do this one all the time, right? Deep down, if I was trying to picture God, well, it's probably like a really awesome version of Nate. Nate. Right, Like, deep down, we have this. I mean, we, would I ever say that out loud? No, 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 no. But what's God like? Really? I mean, we know Jesus had long hair, right? Uh, I mean, you know, you just think about Like, deep down, honestly, okay, we're a non-denominational church. Deep down, do we believe that God would be more comfortable in a non-denominational church setting if he came to a church? Right? I mean, you think about it. Right? Deep down, I'm sure Roman Catholics are subconsciously convinced that God probably approves of Roman, you know, God loves everybody, right? And we all understand that even in denominational differences, people can still be saved, but you know, to a Roman Catholic, that's, God's kind of like, that's the real thing right there, right? To non-denominational people, right? Uh, It's like, that's the real thing, right? Deep down, you know, we're part of a, a movement called Calvary Chapel that was started by a guy named Chuck Smith, and If you talk to a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors today, they won't say it out loud. But if you watch their actions, they are convinced that God would run things by Chuck Smith to make sure he had them right before he did anything. Because we get this, it's subconscious, right? But we want to project ourselves and say, no, if you took out all of our flat spots and just kind of made made everything good about us like way bigger, it'd be God, right? And that is not the case. No, no. What we can say is a reduced image of God that was brought down to such a degree, that was removed to so much of its glory that we could actually comprehend it, that was Jesus Christ. Okay? We can say God reduced himself in his own power, but we cannot say that expanding ourselves equals God. Um, God is not uh, a feeling, right? A lot of people would say they're worshiping God, and I'm not, you know, you, you can't judge somebody right on the line and say, no, you're not. But there's a lot of people who, to watch the fruit of their lives play out, they're worshiping a feeling, right? They're worshiping an, an emotional experience of, wow, the worship just really blessed me today. Well, I don't care if the worship blessed you today. I care about if the worship blessed the Lord t- today, right? Right? I mean, and it's just, it's all these subtle things, right? But, you know, if we get, technically, our church is kind of behind the times because real churches use blue lights during worship. It's it's because, I'm just telling you, if you start watching YouTube videos of different worship groups practicing, it's blue, right? Ideally, it's blue with some mist, and the whole back wall is a screen that can shift from blue to, like, Red to green and back to blue again, right that's let me tell you something. God really likes those like he's okay with our church right but if we could if we could get the sixty foot screen um God would just we'd he'd love us just like that much more it'd be so much we'd be so much more saved um but Honestly, right? I mean, it's kind of funny because it's kind of ridiculous, but there is a whole movement. Uh, I've had a chance this year to get to to interact with uh, a good handful of different church conferences that work across a variety of denominations, and the church is into spending money to generate feelings. All right. I had a, an email from a guy who was trying to get me to come to his conference because he thought I would want to sell some stuff at his conference for him or whatever. And, um, and he said, I think you'd really like it. I think it would be a great fit for your business. Uh, 76% of our attendees from last year were, had a church expansion project planned. 30% of those who were planning to expand their church had a budget of over $100,000. And some of them had a budget of over $5 million. So... So, so what, right? Like, I mean, that's that was the reason I should come to this conference. It wasn't because we're going to pray and fast and repent or worship. It was, no, but, but there's some expansion projects going in that are going to be pretty awesome. Okay, so God is not a feeling. In fact, uh, very often God is way not a feeling, right? God is fact, right? Now, it's really nice when our emotions can. Uh, can be in that place of orienting correctly with who God is, right? That's a great thing. And I've, you know, I've had the privilege of, of some of that, right? I've, I've been in worship services where it felt great and it was totally glorifying to the Lord, right? And it was not about the person on the stage, whatever. But there's also times when life is just hard, right? When there are things going on that just are really awful and And our feelings and our emotions at that point in time are not warm and fuzzy. And that is okay because we are not worshiping a feeling, right? We are worshiping God. And so with that in mind, as we're looking at just a couple thoughts of who God isn't, I want us to now look at who God is, okay? So if we're going to look at who God is, and we want to do a really quick jump through the Bible, real fast. All right, if, you're gonna, if somebody asks you to, to describe the nature of God and you want to give them like Old Testament and New Testament, you should think in your minds, the book of Exodus and the book of John. All right, in Exodus, God describes himself to Moses. In John, Jesus describes himself to everybody. Um, so in Exodus 34, and I didn't put markers on all these, so it might take me, I might be doing some flipping, but it'll be Okay. In Exodus 34, the Lord passes in front of Moses. We've talked about this not too many weeks ago, so we won't spend a ton of time on it tonight. But the Lord describes himself to Moses. And he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, So what we're seeing here is a a multifaceted God. A God who's a little bit beyond our comprehension, right? A God who is gracious, slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in mercy and faithfulness. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. So it's not this universalist, you know, everybody's in the family kind of a thing. It's, no, God God is complex. But understand what he is though, right? Because we need to know when we are worshiping God, when the Psalms say, praise the Lord, Okay, well, I'm not praising the big policeman. I'm not praising um, the old guy or the man upstairs or that great feeling, right? I'm praising a God who is compassionate, who's gracious, who's slow to anger. Uh, if you go over to, we're not going to read it, but in Malachi, the Lord says, I am a great king. He says, you are trying to give me your second best. Try and do that for a, an earthly ruler, and see what happens. I'm a great king. Okay? And God says, in other words, do not mess with me. Do not play games with me. Right? And again, you know, we could say, wow, that, doesn't, that seems contradictory to Exodus. Because he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. Right? And he says, don't play games with me. Right? Is that contradictory? No. That's a God who's big. That's a God who's big And personal, that's another thing we have to remember, God is not just the big guy, right? Because we know on an earthly level, just from an authority structure, uh, if you're in charge of a team of five people, you can have a pretty good pulse on how everybody's doing, you know, everybody's personal lives a little bit, if you need to know, you know, whatever. If you get a team of 500 people, if you're detail-oriented, you could probably keep up with all of them on a first-name basis. But you're really not going to know what's going on at any kind of deep level, right? If you're a general of an army, you better hope that the guys under you are doing a good job of of managing the guys under them, because it's just not possible, right? So we have this idea sometimes that God is like the general. You know, he's at the top, and he talks to the really spiritual people, and then they talk to the sort of spiritual people, and then they talk to the not-too-spiritual people, and they talk to the carnal people, and then they talk to the lost people, Right? And if your prayer is desperate enough, it can make it up all the way through the chain of command to God. Right? God's not that either. God is, uh, because He's not an expanded version of us, right? Because He's God, God is fully capable of being supreme over everything and personally connected with everything. And how does that work? Your brain cannot process it any more than mine can. Right? But that's okay. So in the book of John, Starting in chapter 6, verse 41, we're going to be jumping through John real fast, so you don't have to flip there through each chunk. Um, but Jesus gives a bunch of statements where he says, I am, and he's describing himself. Okay, so God the Father described himself to Moses, and now Jesus is describing himself to other people. And so in chapter 6, 41, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the food that you need. I am, if you have me, you're good. So God is all we need. Uh, John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I am your light. I am all you need to see. right? We don't need anything else in life to see what really matters. But we spend so much effort trying to see what really matters, right? But the God we're worshiping, if we are willing to orient ourselves biblically, is the bread of life. He's all we need for survival. He's the light. He's all we need to see. Chapter 10, verse 11. Uh, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, so he's speaking metaphorically here, but he's saying, I am your protection. I am all you need for protection because I am willing to lay down my life for you. And what do we know? Jesus actually did lay down his life for us. So he has been the good shepherd. He's established himself as a good shepherd. And because he resurrected himself, he is seated as the good shepherd. Uh, chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So Jesus says, so the God we're worshiping is not just our bread. He's not just our light. He's the resurrection. He is the one who transforms death from, from death death to life right from darkness to light from from shame to glory death is the most shameful thing that we can experience as humans because it is the proof that we are sinners who have separated ourselves from god right you think about it death is like the final stamp that says yes this person was a sinner they earned the right to die and through jesus the resurrection and the life, death becomes the transformative moment where all of a sudden it's not our greatest point of shame. It's our greatest moment of glory where we step from this world into the next, right? So we're worshiping the God who is capable of transforming our shame into glory. In chapter 14, verse six, what did Jesus say? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he's not just our God, he's the only God. He goes on to say after that, no one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So he is the one who's capable of transforming our shame into glory. But he's the only one who's capable of transforming our shame into glory. He's the only one. He is claiming exclusivity. And we can say, wow, that's unfair. But you know what? If there was one kind of medication that could cure all the world's cancer, would it be unfair to say, hey, there's only one shot that works? Right? No. People would say, great, I'll take the one shot. Right? Well, guess what? There's one solution to transform our shame into glory. So we don't have to worry about, is it fair or is it exclusive or is that, you know, uh, is that like ancient patriarchalism or whatever it is? No, it's God. And it's the God we're worshiping. In chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And he goes on from there to give an analogy about um, basically, we're the branches. And so, really connecting those other I am statements together, he's saying, I am the source that all life that you're going to experience is going to come through. You're going to experience no fruit in life, you're going to experience no vitality apart from me. You disconnect from me, and it all goes away. Right? You stay connected to me, and it's all right there. Okay? That's the God we're worshiping, the God we want to be connected to. If we're talking about who is God, we've got to go to Colossians, which is where we were on Sunday. And Colossians, this is one of the just killer passages of the Bible. Um, Colossians 1, and it's actually. You really have to start it in verse 3. And Paul did what so many of us do, which is he starts a thought and then gets totally sidetracked. And then gets back to his thought. Okay? Paul starts off. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3. Sorry. Praying always for you. Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints... And then he was on to talk about how great the love they have for all the saints is because of the hope of the gospel and all this other stuff. And he's been praying for them. But, he, but his, his thought before he got carried away was, we are giving thanks to God and we're praying for you since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 15, he gets back around to his thought. And now he's going to remind them of who exactly Christ Jesus is. In verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He is the visible portion of the invisible attributes that we are worshiping. He's the firstborn over all creation. That doesn't make God a created being. Paul is talking in a cultural context. Jesus is not created, but Jesus is the heir. He is the one who is in charge of everything. He has full right and possession to everything. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, the visible things and the invisible things. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, which connects to that section in John when he said, I'm the vine." He's the head of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn to rise from the dead. You could say, wait, he's not the first person to rise from the dead. No, he is the firstborn to rise from the dead because Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. Right? There were other people in the Old Testament who did come back from the dead. But they did not raise themselves. God raised them. Um, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So that's the God we're worshipping. Right? Um, and then, just as we're, we're kind of in the, the wrap-up section for tonight. We're way in the wrap-up section, actually. Um, Revelation. John gets to see uh, he has a vision of a glorified Jesus Christ right? and bear in mind John was a guy who spent time with the physical Jesus Christ Right, when God reduced himself and devoided and himself of all that glory to pack into something that we could look at without dying he put it all into Jesus Christ and John got to walk and live with that for three years Right. When Jesus ascended, he went back full scale, right? So Jesus is now fully glorified, and John gets a vision of it. And he hears a voice speaking to him, and then verse, chapter 1, verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. Notice how many times John uses the word like. John is going to tell us, this is, this is the best I've got to describe what I saw, right? This is the fullest extent of human language that I can give you, but this is what I saw. I saw one like a son of man. He was clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. So he's running out of words for white, right? It was white, like uh, really white wool, like snow. You know, keep going, right? You, You get the idea. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. Have you ever seen when they're casting metal, right? Just parenthetically. It's one of like the coolest, I've never done it, but it's one of the coolest, manliest looking things on the face of the earth, right? You get a big vat of molten metal and you watch those guys pour it out. OK? It's like there's something about that glow of metal, when it's liquid, that's just pretty awesome. That's what his feet are like, right? The reduced, you know, like, like the, honestly, in human terms, the lamest part of his body is like that glowing thing that is just symbolic of how much heat and energy and power went in to transforming that metal. That's what his feet are like, you know? And he's got a long robe on, so really I have no idea what anything else is like. But that's just what, that's what the feet looked like. Um, his voice was like the sound of many waters. You ever heard an ocean? Right? Oceans aren't just loud. You ever think about it? Right? You can hear the power in the ocean. An ocean is not just noise, right? But when you, when you hear the ocean, you're hearing like thousands of pounds of pressure crashing into things. Right? What's his voice is like? You know? My voice... It's connected to this little thing right here, right? You see this thing? It's this little ball on the end of a stick. I mean, it's because my voice is not like many waters, right? It's because if I don't have something to make my voice a little bit more louder, a little louder, uh, some of you guys are going to say, we got to either shut off the AC or tune him out because we can't do both, right? But many waters. And in his right hand, he's holding seven stars. Do you know how big a star is? Just, I mean, I'm kind of. I like this passage, and so we're, I'm just slowing down. Do you know how big a star is? Right, I mean, just think about it for a second. The sun, by definition, is a really small star. The sun is about a million times bigger than our entire globe, and it's one of the little ones. Right, so. God has seven in his hand. Maybe it's like, a, you know, marbles where he's got some big and little. And he's just kind of, you know, shaking them around for fun. But he's got seven. And in his, out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So his face is like the sun. His eyes are fire. His tongue is a sword. And his feet look like liquid metal. Okay? That's the God we're worshiping. Right? Don't underestimate. Don't, you know, when we're looking at Jesus, don't lose sight of the humanity. The humanity is what brings us to that point of salvation because it made Jesus a comparable sacrifice to pay for all of our sins. Never take away from the humanity of Jesus, but never take away from the deity of Jesus either. Right? He was God bottled down into a human form. Right? And, and, you know, I've, I got the Mount of Transfiguration, kind of open up the bottle just for a minute, right? And then shut it back down. It's like he let him see, just a glimpse, just a little more than he had, corked up, and then he put it back, right? But the God, this, this is the God we're worshiping. This is the God we're called to worship, right? So we're reading the Psalms. We're being told to praise the Lord. But as we're reading these, I want us to just remember what that really means, Right? What does that really mean? That God, who is so big, and is able to to bottle himself down into that. Yeah, it's like that last verse of Cornerstone that we sang tonight. Right? Dressed in His righteousness alone, fall us stand before the throne. That God can put His righteousness on us, so that we can stand, fall us before the throne, because that righteousness and nothing else is sufficient. Right? That's the God we're worshiping. And, you know, honestly, tonight, we didn't really cover any kind of profound, this isn't like profound theology stuff, right? We didn't explain the, you know, the subcultures of understanding the Trinity and whatever. We just said, you know, here's who God is, right? We're not, we're not, we're not trying to find some mystery in who God is, but we are trying to make sure that we understand who we're worshiping, because we are going to worship, and we will become like what we worship. So, I don't know about each person in this room, um, but I, for one, would sure like to become like Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, right? I don't want to just become a big, awesome version of myself, right? I know myself too well. Um, I don't want to become that, right? I want to be transformed. And still somehow retain all the, the aspects of my humanity that give me the personality that God's given me, right? I want to be transformed, not like cut off and like, okay, you know, like every element of what made Nate Murphy Nate Murphy is now gone and there's this like whole new thing. No, I want a new body, but I've still got a soul, right? And somehow, I don't know how that all works together, right? I can't wait, but I want to be worshiping the right God. I want to be worshiping the God who is capable of enacting that transformation. So, as we're reading the Psalms this week, as we're getting into Proverbs, keep in mind who the God that we are worshiping is. Right? And remember that he is. Not who he was, not who he will be. Right? Jesus said, I am used a present tense word because right now in 2021 jesus still is the bread of life he is the light he is the vine he is the resurrection and we have the privilege and the gift of accepting all of that letting go of all of our attempts at good deeds letting go of all of our self-righteousness and saying you know what i just want to stand clothed in that righteousness alone and let go of everything else that is the privilege of what we are called to and I can't think of a better calling in life so let's pray God we are uh we're humbled God we we stand in awe of who you are tonight as we think about all your faithfulness in the past and all your promises for the future and yet simultaneously how present you are with us right now in this room and Lord, I pray that you would um, stir up in us a desire to draw near to you, a desire to be more in tune with who you are, more aware of who you are, and of how you're working. I pray that, that you would just transform us, that you would move in our lives, that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that we would not, that we would not settle short of what you have invited us to. God, we want to enter into the fullness of everything that you're offering us. So please do that work in our hearts. God, be glorified in our midst. Have your way with us. And it is in the name of King Jesus that we pray. Amen.